The Culture Guy Podcast, Episode 9. Welcome back to the Culture Guy Podcast. announce that we've been recently included into the top 10 list. Actually, we've been included on the list of 10 great podcasts for global-minded marketers. We're totally psyched. I'm totally psyched that I was included in that list of uh, fellow podcasters who work in the global arena. Um, Katrin Busman or Catherine Busman, I'm not quite sure if I pronounce her name properly. She is uh, from Canada, hails from German immigrant parents, and she's blogging at Verbacino. Uh, We'll have her on this program soon, I hope. Uh, so she can share with us her journey. So she wrote this blog article about 10 great podcasts for global-minded marketers. Um, I'm psyched. Thanks for including me, Catherine. Catherine. Um, (laughs) I'll find out how to pronounce her name. Um, And you guys are here. You're listening today because you are, like me, interested in how cultures connect, how they are different, how they interact, and how they actually influence all of our behaviors. So those of you who've listened to previous episodes, you know that this is my passion. This is what we do. We, we when I say we, um, we're a company called The Culture Mastery. We help companies and individuals to be more successful when they work across cultural borders. We do this via coaching and training and mentorship groups and also through masterminding you'll learn about this more in this podcast. I've been wetting your episode, uh, appetites in the past about this. And you may have come across an article I've written for FITT, a Canadian trade website. Uh, we'll talk about this more in the near future in, in one of these podcast episodes. However, today I'd like to introduce you to a gentleman that I also met on the internet through social media, mainly through LinkedIn, which just happens to be, aside from Twitter, the the go-to place for for social networkers who work in the cross-cultural field and who take this profession series. His name is Carl Hegarty. He's a Yankee, and for those of you who are not from the United States, that means he is from the northeastern part of the United States. He's from the Boston Boston area, Um, and I live in the south of the United States, and being a German living in the south, I can easily play with this so when they when the southerners say yankees they don't mean the baseball team from new york they mean a whole the whole people from the northeast of the united states and they don't always mean that lovingly so we should talk about the north and south divide in the u.s at some at some time on this show um and kyle i met kyle on linkedin he's been posting quite a few articles uh, around his profession 
He is the managing director of Leadership Nomad, which is part of the TSL group. It's um, a company that is helping other companies expand across the globe, mainly in the uh, APAC region, Asia Pacific. And he's been very active in, in those markets. He's based in Singapore. And I was, I was able to catch him um, uh, on his way out of work. So um, while it is morning here, while I'm recording this, it is a different time where he is. So I'm, I'm going to let Kyle explain this. So here we are today with Kyle Hegarty. He's the managing director of TSL based in Singapore. Hey Kyle, is it good morning? Is it good afternoon? Is it what what time of day is it on your end of the globe? It's not yeah, it's not any of those. It's uh good evening. So I think we're uh, at around 9:20 uh, p.m. All right. Here. So what time are where where are you? I'm based in the eastern time zone of the United States, so it's 8:20 something in the morning. So um you're a North American, you're from the Boston area and you work in Southeast Asia. How how do these time zones matter in your daily work? Yeah, daily uh, has certainly changed its, its meaning since um, since moving here over a decade ago. So you know, the whole time zone struggle is probably a great starting point to have these types of discussions about cross cultural communication. Anyway, yeah, um, you know, oftentimes with these global clients, they have these calls that uh, require people from all over the world to join. So someone's going to get hit. And it's more often than not, I don't know, correct me if I'm wrong or if you think differently, but uh, oftentimes it's us guys in APAC who, uh, who end up getting on the night shift. Uh, that, that, of course, includes Australia and New Zealand. So you get a lot of people that um, end up with that 9 p.m. or even you know midnight to, to 2 a.m. slots, which uh, can be absolutely brutal. Uh, and, you know, you, you get the, the joke is that uh, oftentimes these people from, from the U.S., you know, don't quite, don't quite get it. And uh, I, I always joke with my U.S. counterparts and say, guys, you know, record one of these conference calls and wake yourself up at two in the morning and listen to it oh. and see how, yeah, see, see how, see if you think it could be more effective. Yeah. See, see if you could be more efficient. <laughs> is, is, do you think that that phenomenon is owed to the fact that it's still? Um, Western organizations that dominate the expat employer arena? Is is, is, is it the North American headquarter-centric companies that dictate the the schedules? Yeah, that's a good question. You know, and in fact, as I'm thinking, I I, I think that's the answer. I would wonder, uh, I can talk to my friends at some of these larger uh, places now that have headquarters in places like India or, or parts of China, and find out if, uh, if they're able to have that have that phenomenon reversed. I, I would expect that they do. Mm. Um, so, you know, it, it's one of one of the funny kind of dirty secrets. Uh, probably not too too much of a secret, but you know, as we guys, we we we're always the ones who, uh, or it's very often it seems, we're the guys that get stuck on these nighttime calls. And so, you get um, some of the pedestrian bar and cafe areas in places like here in Singapore or Hong Kong or any any city really. And so you will almost every single night, you will see uh, people, often expats, standing, wobbling sometimes between 10 p.m. and, and 1 or 2 in the morning, uh, just, just away from the bar. And uh, they, they're kind of acting a little bit more serious than normal. And you can tell that they're trying to be uh, serious and, and pretend to be sober uh, for, a, for a global call. 
<laughs> pretend to be sober. That is, that is priceless. Now, I would imagine that could take a toll on your personal life as well, because many times uh, um, expatriates go to these locations from from the Western Hemisphere with their families. So if you're if you're stuck on night shift for these conference calls, your family life takes a hit with that as well, doesn't it? It, it does. Yeah, it's it's, um, it's it's definitely a rough one. I think that the thing that that um, and and uh, the longer that you're here, I think the less patience you have for it, and I think that you do learn to kind of put your foot down. So what I've done years ago, started doing was I carved out specific nights. So it would just be just you know guys, Tuesdays uh, from 9 p.m. to midnight. I'll do it, but everything else it's not going to happen. It can it can wait. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think some people, you know, are, are better at that than others about just kind of putting some, some rules in place. But um, the first few years, I was on a couple of calls that were between one and, and two in the morning. And, you know, you, you sit through these things, and oftentimes they'll go in order, and the North American guys will start first, which means that the APAC will start last or end at the end. So you got to sit through an hour of this stuff to do a five-minute talk, and the conversation will end and now you're kind of wired and it's two in the morning and like, oh my gosh my my alarm's going to go off in four hours <laughs> yeah yeah so it's, it's it's really a challenge to be efficient and at your a game and uh, well, given that, those scheduling that, challenges and and that's something i think that goes under uh considered quite often about that a game you know it, how Sharp are you at night at night, at mm-hmm. ten at night, at midnight? Mm-hmm. How how on your game are, can you be? Mm-hmm. Uh, and and I think we all know the answer to that. But it's it's and even from a personal standpoint, my family's back home. Um, I talk to them at weird hours where there's not that even from a personal level that a game. And then when you come home, you know there's that weird jet lag and you're kind of out of it too. So there's this, it's, um, you know, that's 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 the downside. You know, that's, right. that's the trouble. Uh, there's a ton of upside. There's a ton of excitement, but uh, there's some there's some of those hidden hidden issues, hidden costs, I suppose. Well, I'm 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 even more glad now that you are taking time in your evening hours to sit down and talk with us and um, be available for our audience. So appreciate that. Thank you very much. Well, I just yeah. Well, there, you could have a, a, a screaming baby uh, popping up in the background at any moment. Just, uh, <laughs> just ahead, All right. So, um, Kyle, you are the managing director of TSL, as I said in the beginning. Um, what does TSL do, and what's your role there? So we're a marketing agency. We've uh, been around since the late 90s, and the company started out really as an outbound cold-calling um, uh, company. So our main clients were technology firms, so we were doing work for very large companies, generating leads for sales teams. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it was essentially high-end cold-calling. And the company grew over the last, gosh, 17 plus years. Uh, I think I was one of the first half a dozen people there. Uh, and we, we really grew it out of the U.S. and Europe took off uh, nicely. And then in 2005, I started sniffing around Asia. I was getting a little bit antsy and wanted to try something different. And uh, there were a couple of other components to that as well. My, my better half is a scientist. And... Um, the whole science world in the U.S. in the mid-2000s was a little bit weird because stem cell research funding got cut. Mm-hmm. Uh, and while she wasn't directly involved in stem cell research, there was some unintended consequences, uh, and a lot of scientists were in a situation where they 
really had their hands tied. And countries around the world jumped on it. They absolutely started throwing money at good scientists. And uh, Singapore was, was right on the top of that list. Uh, Germany was a big com- country that did a lot of that, Canada. So they started poaching some real smart people. Uh, and then, of course, some of the non-smart people like me followed. And uh, so that, <laughs> that got me out to Singapore. But, but yeah, we, it, it was, the timing was great because we were having our clients telling us that, you know, hey, can you guys do this stuff in Asia? Uh, and so the lead gen was a part of it. Now we've been really focused more on digital marketing. Um, interestingly enough, over the years here, what we found is that our business in Asia took a very different turn than what we expected. Uh, we do have the more traditional lead gen coming out of India, and we're doing that in Australia. But for, for ASEAN, for some of the other Asian countries, we just found that the model didn't didn't stick the same way. Uh, you've got so many different cultures, you've got so many different languages, you've got so many different moving pieces that uh, make uh, doing a scalable marketing campaign much more challenging. Which, and so which, we ended up shifting. Which, yeah. which countries yeah. do you operate in now? Well, <laughs> for a while, um, talking about spinning plates, that was the image that we always used, but um, we had people in, I had people in seven countries around ASEAN. So I had um, the ASEAN guys, so Singapore, Malaysia, Indonesia, Thailand, uh, Philippines, Vietnam. We had somebody in Cambodia, uh, and we were trying to, you know, very small company trying to grow quickly. And oftentimes you'd have somebody come and say, well, you know, we need this thing done in, uh, in Vientiane. God, so, you know, you've got to find somebody there. And, you know, all of a sudden it's a different language and it's a different legal structure. And can you do events in, in Ho Chi Minh? Okay, yeah. And so we're, we're doing an event to find out halfway through the event that uh, we didn't fill out the right government form and you know, communist government's coming after us because we didn't do something right. So it was a, uh, always an adventure. So you, you, not, not only did you run into the administrative um, challenges that uh, that you have with working across borders, um, so there was the, the, the legalistic and the logistical stuff, um, I'm assuming you also ran into the, the language and culture barriers, right? I mean, for, for most North Americans, that whole a- Asian is one big muddy muddy mess that they rarely understand. Now, once you're in there, you realize these are very distinct cultures and they all need to be treated separately or with a, with a, uh, with a different set of lenses, right? I think a, a common mistake is that, that gets made from Western countries is that they think of Asia or even ASEAN as a market yeah. rather than a series of markets. And that's where the problem starts. So if you come up with your Asia strategy and it's a cut and paste approach, so we're going to, you know, we're going to do this in Singapore and then we're just going to do it in all these other six countries. Um, you're, you're in for a, you're in for a, a rocky ride. Yeah. It's, it's the same with having a European strategy or an African strategy, right? Absolutely. So, uh, it, it... Absolutely. Now, and I think that, you know, the last decade especially has been, uh, I, I think it has been focused. There's been a lot of attention on 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 this region where I am. I'm at. You know, that's where a lot of the attention and the funding and the growth story was happening. And um, you get people who uh, rush in and they just say, "Well, you know, we 
the numbers say this, we've got to do this growth, and we've got to grow in all these places at the exact same time. And um, there's been a lot of frantic insanity. <laughs> really, you know, I, I would say certainly since I've been here, it's kind of slowed down in 08 for a bit, and then it just spiked. And I don't think that I don't think that momentum has really slowed down until very recently. All right. So, how does your company address these uh, these issues with your clients? How how do you guide them towards a more um, focused and 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 um, culture cognizant way of doing their business in in that area of the world? We're we're our own best client case study, uh, and and in fact, this is why you and I are talking because what ended up happening was, you know, we came in and we made all the same mistakes that that I'm that I'm talking about here. Mm. Uh, we just went, we just went shotgun, uh, you know, because that was what we were asked to do. And it was not an easy ride. Um, so we had to take a step back and say, wait a minute, what the heck just happened? <laughs> why, why, why did this work? And uh, lo and behold, you know, this whole consequences of different cultures started kicking in. And the more you start thinking about it and looking and, and studying what's going on, you see that a lot of the uh, reasons we screwed up and a lot of the other companies end up getting really doing some damage, at least to their bottom line, is that they're not taking all of these cultural considerations uh, into play. And so we ended up really, as I said, you know, we're, I'm almost like my own first client. Uh, and and what, we, what we ended up doing was saying, you know, there's a business here. Uh, the, the, the whole marketing component is still going on, but quite frankly, to me, the exciting stuff is what we're doing, which is really taking that step back and saying, right, let's, let's start working with companies here from a larger marketing sales and, and leadership standpoint to be able to help them start thinking about the different cultural components and how that's going to play into the business. And, and really, you know, can we do some of this other stuff? Yes, but I'm, we're really more focused now on, on uh, leadership training, sales training, and, and marketing training for companies. All right. Yeah, we, that we, seems to be where the biggest need is. We'll talk about that aspect of your business uh, on our next episode because we'll, we'll have you back on. Uh, I want to hear more about how your company handles that. Now, uh, before I let you go today, l let me hear what was your – what was one of the major missteps you had when you first entered that area, when you first moved to Singapore? Did you step on any bombs, and, and how did you recover from it? Oh, there's not enough time of the day for, uh, for that answer. Uh, I'll, give you, I'll give you a common one. and um, this, I did the exact same thing. I'm, I'm working with a client now who made the exact same mistake. This is, this is probably so common, but uh, you get a Westerner who comes in at, in a management role who is uh, leading a team of, of people across the region. So you could have people from Singapore, Malaysia, you know, the, the ASEANs, uh, India, et cetera, the whole place. And what, what do they do? Well, they, they do their talk and they kind of introduce themselves and, and they say things like, well, look, you know, you guys are the experts. Um, I'm, really, I'm really working. I'm here to help you. I'm here to work for you. And you got to come to me with, with your ideas mm -hmm. and let's, let's do this together. Mm -hmm. And if you give that type of, um, of motivational speech or, you know, speech here, yeah. you're toast. <laughs> and, um, I, and, and I, unfortunately, a lot of the already have, they've, they've done that, and then they're slowly realizing that that approach isn't going to work. Mm -hmm. And so it's, 
then it's like, okay, well, let's let's try and extricate ourselves out of that situation. And and I'm, as I said, on my first customer, uh, I did the exact same thing. Okay. And and how, how, how did you how did you fix that? Are you now a more uh, authoritative or more direction giving leader? Exactly right. So you know, if we were to play this back into, I suppose you know, hosted cultural dimensions. This is mm. this is a a, a power. Uh, power dimension hmm. um, uh, component. There's other things moving there as well, but yeah, I mean the 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 message that we work on with with our guys. And if I had my magic wand and could do it again, I think the approach would have been something a little bit more to say that look, you guys you guys know your markets really well. I we're going to be working with you to put together a strategy and a plan. We want you to be a part of that. Um, the feedback, you know, we're going to work together to get this thing done. We're going to come up with some decisions. Those decisions, I need your commitment that you're going to follow us on this, mm. uh, and let's let's do this together. So that's and a hybrid a version. So, uh, a, you're, uh, yeah, you're, you're you're not just for, for, you're not forcing your 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 decision upon your team. You're 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 phrasing it in a way that it's 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 collaborative. I'm a, look, I'm a, I'm a hybrid guy. The answers are hybrid. Absolutely, you got to you got to you got to adjust, but not totally, right? Excellent, Carl. Thank you so much for your time today. Um, we'll have you on this program again soon, and um, I hope I'll catch you at a better time. <laughs> Thanks, Christian. Thank Appreciate you. It. Kyle Haggerty with. TSL Global Nomads, a leadership nomads in Singapore. He promised to give us a little more of his time. Um, let, let's see how we can catch him. Um, we've set something up, so he should be on one of the upcoming episodes again. He, he's got more stuff to share with us. And also, let me encourage you to one of his blog posts. Actually, you should read all of his blog posts on LinkedIn. The one that is probably most pertaining to what we just talked about is called Time Zone Suck Improving Global Conference Calls. Man, if you live in the ASEAN or in the APEC region and your headquarter is in Europe or in North America, you know what Kyle and I are talking about. And it is blog, and I'll link to that in the show notes. So if, if you click on the show notes, you'll find a link to, to his LinkedIn article. Um, he's got three, three major steps to consider. So first, don't do these conference calls often or as often as you used to. Work slowly on getting the quiet people to speak up, which is or can be quite a challenge in Asia if you come from the Western world. And thirdly, nominate an ambassador of clarity. Now, if you want to understand what that means, an ambassador of clarity, sounds obvious, uh, just, just read his blog. Um, as I said, it's on LinkedIn. You'll find the link to the article in the show notes. This was episode nine.
Twitter handle Hoefele, that's H-O-E, F as in Frank, E-R-L-E, Hoefele, or you can also use Culture Mastery, that's the at sign, Culture Mastery on Twitter. Find us on LinkedIn, uh, on Facebook, The Culture Guy, that's where we post the links to the episodes and other valuable stuff that adds to what we talk about here. And send us an email. Send an email to get started at theculturemastery.com. Again, that's get started, one word, no dash, hyphen dots. Get started at theculturemastery.com. That's it for episode nine. We'll talk to you again in two weeks. Thank you. Stay classy.